Welcome, Nexus Church family, back to our second week in our series we titled, I Wanna Be Liked. Now, again, I don't know about you, but those little short video clips of Michael Jordan just make me go back to my childhood. And man, I may not have been a basketball player, but I sure wanted to be like Mike. And reality was, it didn't matter how much Gatorade I drank or how hard I tried, I would never be like Mike. And again, this series has nothing to do with Michael Jordan. It just brings out the point that so often in our life, we follow the greatest of all time as well in our Christian walk, and that is Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it didn't take me very long when I started following Jesus to realize I, I could never be like my Savior. Like, what he did and how he acted, how he treated others, the wisdom he had, it was profound. And I just kept coming up against the realization day after day that I failed. And I struggled with that. For many years, I'm like, man, I read all of these the commands in the Old Testament, then you go to the New Testament, you start reading the life of Jesus and then the, the writings of Paul and how we should act as followers of Christ. And, and I just kept reading and reading and kind of felt condemned and felt like, goodness gracious, I, I, I just can't do it. And maybe you find yourself in that place today. You failed, you've made too many mistakes and you're like, why? Why do I keep trying? I just keep going around this mountain over and over again and keep failing in this area, whether it's an addiction or just even in something as simple as your emotions, maybe anger, maybe sadness, maybe depression. I want to go over the reality that Jesus, yes, he was God, but there were practices in his life that may look different today, but if we engage in the practices he engaged in, I believe that we can become more like Jesus and not have to worry about focusing on our, our maybe our emotions or how we treat others, our characteristics. And if we can focus on the lifestyle of Jesus, we may find that we become more like him. Now, over the years, these have been called things like disciplines, rules of life. Probably one of the more popular one that I have heard, anyhow, is that this phrase, this phrase that we see that I don't necessarily like. And it's called just disciplines, spiritual disciplines. The reason I don't like that is because disciplines always has the, well, discipline associated with them. If you don't do it, then you get disciplined. Maybe it was because I got disciplined a lot as a child because that wasn't always following the proper way of doing things. But I think there's a better way to phrase it. Because discipline makes it feel like if I don't do it, I'm still falling short. I like the phrase, practices. You can't fail a practice, can you? 
I mean, the only way that you fail in a practice is if you, well, fail to practice. And you just don't try. You don't attempt. You know, if, if you are in baseball, for instance, and you're up there to bat, the only way you fail is if you don't go up to bat. You don't try. You may swing and miss every single time, but you still got up there and you still practiced. You still made an attempt. And that's why I like the statement, spiritual practices. Because we're going to practice. We're going to try to make steps forward. Now, last time, if you listened, you can go back and listen. We just talked about Sabbath. Man, if we're talking about we have to be disciplined in our Sabbath, I'm going to to mess up a lot. But if I'm going to practice Sabbath, that means I might not get it every week, but I'm still going to attempt it. I'm still going to get up and I'm going to try to make one day, whether it's an hour in that day, half the day, or maybe the whole day, I'm going to still attempt it. Right? I didn't fail if I tried. And so we're going to be practicing over the next few weeks. We're going to continue this. And this week we're going to be talking about the word, God's word, the importance of practicing getting into God's word. And our text today is found in Luke chapter 4, if you want to follow along. I'll be reading from the CSB version, Christian Standard Bible. And I want to just lead up to this little, very small, it's only four verses, chapter, or verses 1 through 4, chapter 4, and you can continue and read in the rest of it later. It's a great passage. But this little tiny segment out of it is, is Jesus is kind of stepping into his, his ministry life. Kind of like he became an adult, right? He went through all the training. He, he was prepared to go out and do the work for God. He spent about 30 years in preparation. And before he gets out and starts his public ministry, if you will, he spends some days in the wilderness to pretty much reflect, have time with God, fast, pray, you know, reflect on the Torah. He was spending time with God. And no sooner does he go out, he meets the adversary the devil. The devil does some interesting things. He tempts him with uh, some of the more notable ones, I guess, idolatry, pride. And then he tempts him with bread making. <laughs> what in the world? No sooner does he go out and start his time with his God in reflection and preparation then the enemy comes and starts hitting him with all of these things. And the first noted temptation, bread making. Let's read. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. And other translations add, but on every word of God. Man shall not live 
bread alone. Now, depending on the translations that you you may be reading from today, it it is not very clear how long into this journey that Jesus was in in the 40 days. Had he truly been 40 days without food, or did this happen within that? This translation makes it sound very obvious that it was 40 days. And so he was being tempted for 40 days. For 40 days, the enemy was coming against him. And then this was the first noted temptation that we have written in here. So for 40 days, the enemy was attacking him, tempting him, trying to get him to cave. Tried to get him to, well, take himself off of public ministry and, in essence, rid himself of the Savior. That's what the enemy was trying to do. And he does the same thing to us, right? He's constantly trying to get us so that we will discredit ourselves. And so he's doing that. And then finally, after 40 days were done, he thought he had him. He's like, this guy is starving. He's going to do anything. I'm going to ask him to turn this stone to bread. And Jesus says, you're not going to live on bread alone. 40 days, 40 days. Now this goes back. Jesus used scripture, right? Right, so here's this temptation. And Jesus comes and he says from scripture, right? He he didn't just come up with the statements on his own. He used scripture from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Says, man shall not live on bread alone. This is coming from a time when Moses was reminding the Israelites. Now, if you don't know the story, you can go back and read in Exodus how God had taken them for years from slavery. And he brought them out miraculously against the most powerful army of all time. And he delivered them. And then they were in the wilderness without food. This was not a wilderness like you think of um, in Montana or some remote place that's beautiful and has all sorts of food and water and all the things. No, this was a desert wilderness. And while they're in the desert wilderness, there's no water. There's no food. But God provided for them. God took care of them. They were to rely on God for 40 years in the desert. Jesus was 40 days without anything. Kind of a parallel going on here, right? And so Jesus points the enemy back to this reality. We're not to live on ourselves, but on God and his word. You see, what the enemy was really trying to do here was he was trying to to make Jesus self-reliant, take matters up into his own hands, and Jesus like, no, I'm doing God's will. I'm not going to divert from what he has called me to. Sticking to his word. Sticking to his word. See, the word is power. The word has life. The word can heal. And today, we're going to look at these three points. And the very first one is the, the Bible is like bread. It nourishes us. 
It nourishes us. Just like food is essential for your physical health, the Bible is essential for your spiritual health. It's, it's, it's more than just your physical that you need to be worried about. It's your spiritual, where you're going, your relationship with God. It nourishes you. It's not some luxury, right? It's, it's, it's a necessity. It's something that we are to live on. Live on. Live on. If we need food to get us through the day, how much more do we need God's word to get through the day? It's what sustains us. It's what gives us the ability to do what's right, to have love, to have joy, to have peace, to have patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control. Right? How do you get the fruit of the Spirit? By digging into God's word. It gives you nourishment. It gives you nourishment. Right? If we live on it, live on it. There's a post that I read that said the Bible is bread for daily nourishment, not cake for special occasions. Kind of a fun way of looking at it, right? All right, so first of all, the Bible is like bread. It's for our nourishment. It, we need it for our spiritual well-being. The second thing the Bible is, it's a, it's a blade. The Bible is a blade. Protects us. It fights for us. In this passage, of course, we read that that Jesus is taking arms against the enemy. And what does he rely upon? God's word, not his own word. Right? Remember that he didn't rely on his own word to to fight the enemy. He used God's word. He defeated him three times. He used God's word to defeat the enemy. Listen to how Paul said it in Ephesians 6, 17. He said to take on the full armor of God, which included the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Everything else in the armor of God was for protection. But God's Word is what we fight with. Jesus used God's Word to fight the enemy. We must too. Because we're not fighting some physical war. We're fighting a spiritual war. Paul would just earlier say in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the power of the dark world. It's the enemy that we're fighting against, not people. It's not situations. It's the enemy. He comes and he uses people. He uses situations. He even attacks our own minds, our thoughts, our emotions. He fights through that, but he is the enemy. And we need God's word to fight for us. Jesus used it. If Jesus used God's word and didn't rely on himself, we must use God's word. So, the Bible is bread. It nourishes us. The Bible is a blade. It protects us. And lastly, the Bible is a band-aid. It heals us. Again, we, we are getting attacked from so many different areas in this world. And one in particular that we don't focus on a whole lot sometimes is our emotional side of ourselves. 
And it's inevitable. It, it, it's happened to every single person, whether you're young or you're old. The enemy is, whether he's using people or using yourself, he is at war against your mind. Because he knows if he can convince you and can get your mind to think incorrectly, he's won the battle. So many Christians are under this, this weight of emotional turbulation, trauma. You name it, we have experienced so much in this world that we should never have experienced, but because of the fall, it, it's inevitable. And so the lies of the enemy come in, and then your brain has this weird capability of replaying that thing that was said to you, that thing that a person did to you. The... the the lies that have been told to you. And it keeps replaying. And pretty soon before you know it, you believe it, right? It goes, it goes into you and it becomes your identity. So your injury becomes your identity. You don't even know it. You need a healer. You need a healer. The authors were well acquainted with this in the Bible, right? They experienced pain. They wrote about hurt. They wrote about suffering. They wrote about grief and the consequences of sin. One writer in particular, David, <laughs> wrote many psalms in regards to this. If you've read the book of Psalms, you, you've experienced some of these, like, whoa, that's really in the Bible? They said that? Like, he must have been really angry. Can that person even be a follower of God and say those things? Like, it, he wasted nothing about what went on inside of him onto the paper. He shared it all. His anger, his hurts. It was like a journal that we all get to read. We're all human, right? Nobody is God except Jesus Christ himself. So we get to read all this. And one particular Psalm is Psalm 10720, where David wrote in response to this, this time where the Jewish people were sent into exile. And he replied this, this beautiful statement of what God did for his people. He said, He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Can you just feel that? Right? Like, this was like a, an emotional song, in a sense. Right? It was almost like this, this Taylor Swift of ancient Israel. Like, all of this thing came against us. We were, we were, we were beat up. We were relationally tore apart. Our spouses were gone. Our kids were gone. And we had nothing left. We were alone. We are in pain. God saw us. He saw that we were in depression. And what did he do? He sent his word out to heal. He brought us out of the grave of depression and anxiety and fear and anger. He brought us to hope and joy. See, God's word does that for us even today. He might not literally send out his word through a spoken word. He can, but it's all here. 
if God never spoke audibly again in the rest of history, for all of eternity, we still have his words written down for us. And we can know that when we read his word and we get into it, and we, we have conversation with it, and we ask questions and we seek counsel and we pray over it, we know God can heal us. God desires to heal us. So when you feel lost, you're insignificant, you can go to God in his word. You can meditate on it. Allow it to speak into you. God will heal you. He will heal you. If you go to him. God's word, God's word is like bread. It's nourishment to your spiritual soul. God's word is like a sword. It can protect you. And God's word is like a band-aid. It can heal you. But friends, here's the reality today. You have to go to him to let it read its word. Spend time with it and allow it to do its work, to nourish you, to protect you, to heal you. See, we want to become like Jesus in this series. We want to become more like him, act like him, walk like him, talk like him. We want to become like our Savior. And in order to do that, we need to put those practices into place. So today, what does that look like for you? I realize that most people listening, you have a lot going on, and this is not something that you just have a flippant time to do, just like taking a Sabbath. This is going to take some intentionality. So this week, what are you going to commit to? Maybe it's listening to it audibly, listening to it while you're driving. Maybe it's before you get up in the morning and you're just in bed and instead of checking those emails or Facebook or whatever social media you watch or listen to, maybe it's just spending some time with God. Chapter a day. Just like that. Let it speak to you. Pray over it. Ask a simple question. God, what do you want to speak to me through your word? Let him know. Because his word will nourish your spiritual self, will protect you, and will heal you. Father, I pray for every person listening. God, that they would put on the spiritual practice of spending time with your word. God, it is the only, only way that we can become more like you is by letting it soak into our minds and form our hearts. And God, you make the rest putting it into so, Father, I pray that this week, every person listening will commit to every day spending time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week, Nexus Church family. And next week, we're going to dig into our third practice in this series of becoming like Jesus. See you then.